Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. We're back. Um, last week was a Patreon-exclusive episode, and we're happy to be back uh, right. for a stretch of three freeloader episodes in a row, starting today with uh, a heinous set of murders and a reminder of why, because at times I convince myself that I don't like this digital age we're in, I miss the old days and all that stuff, but then mm-hmm. you see a case like this where a family stopped for directions and then how it ended up. You know, nowadays they would have just had Google Maps and this whole thing wouldn't have happened. They would have never encountered this guy. That's right. Yep. The Tin Man. They would have never encountered the Tin Man. The Tin Man. How so, ominous. Yeah. That, that's that's as much as I'm going to give you for this, this one. We're going to we're going to go through the story organically and it's it's appalling. But um, yeah, this is quite a justice ride. Justice was served in the end. But it, yeah, it was yeah a terrible terrible one of the. One of the, the hardest murders to cut, like for me to study, was just like, ugh, what he did to this family was just horrendous. Even harder than last week's Patreon episode, which was probably that one, one was of the most bad graphic too. episodes we've ever done. Yeah, we did the uh, Ripper Crew, the Chicago Ripper Crew last week on Patreon, and there was a lot of um, women's breasts being cut off. It was pretty bad. Oh, it, it was bad. It was bad. Yeah. If, if you guys like the worst of the worst, Check that yep. out on Patreon because that'll you'll definitely get your fix on that. But this case is no this case is no. If you want just either. the worst, not the worst of the worst, but the worst, yeah, just stick the worst for this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. All right, man. Let's get into it. Let's do it. If you come in out this way, out here to Tampa Bay, you might see a. For our case this week, we're going to travel to Ohio and then make our way to Florida. 
Okay. But uh, I want to give a big shout out to the main study source for this episode, which was uh, an unbelievably well-written article that's seven chapters long. It's basically like reading a book. It is. Um, it, it's, a, it's a big read, but um, it's by the Tampa Bay uh, Times writer Thomas French, and it's titled Angels and Demons. There's a link in the description, in our episode description um, for that. If you want to know every nitty-gritty detail about everyone involved in this case, it goes through all of that. Oh, my God, like, yeah. It's basically like a book, like the level of detail. It really is. You learn about each person. In you, this. Could, you could make a short series based on that article. Mm-hmm. Very well done. I think it won a Pulitzer Prize, actually, mm. this article. Yeah, it was well written. It was well written. It really made yeah. it really allowed you to get to know the victims, which I really appreciated about it. You really got to know their mm-hmm. their before life, their their upbringing, how they got to this yeah, point. Yeah, it very much focuses much more on the family, the victims, yes. than it did uh, the killer. Yeah. So. Which is rare in true crime, to be honest. It's perfect, because that's how we like to do this exactly. show. Exactly. I mean, often we, we focus a lot on the killer, but we tear them down, and we don't try not to uh, glorify them, obviously. Exactly. So let's talk about the Rogers family. It consisted of Hal and Joan Rogers, who were both in their late 30s. They had two daughters, 17-year-old Michelle and 14-year-old Christy. They lived on a 300-acre farm in Wilshire, Ohio. Um, And Joe and Hal had dated in high school. They were high school sweethearts, got married a few months after graduation uh, when it turned out that Joe was pregnant and they had to tell their parents. We we talked about that on (laughs) Just a Mantra recently, like that awkward time. Yeah. But... uh, been there. <laughs> yeah. They were the perfect example of uh, yin and yang, um, opposites attracting. Yeah. Uh, Hal was more of a, a reserved person, and Joe was very outgoing. Um, she could talk to anybody. Um, basically, people said that there was ne- she never met a stranger because whoever she met right away, they was like they were friends. Right. Um, which may have ended up being un- her unfortunate downfall, to be honest. Right. Um, being too trustworthy and naive, coming from a small town in Ohio, she trust, trusted the wrong person. But um, how like to say that she was his personality because he didn't have one. Uh, right. <laughs> I kind of got that too. Uh, it kind of made me really suspicious of him early on in this case. You know, really? Yeah, because... Oh, as far as, yeah, what Yeah, I watched so. a little Dateline uh, documentary on YouTube, which you guys can find if you search uh, Joe Rogers or Joan Rogers or... You can put the the link to that in the description, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I'll put that in the description as well. If you check out that, it's just the first time you see Hal on screen, you're like, I don't know about this guy. You know, but that's that's a typical <laughs> true crime response, though. It's like, what about that husband? Right. What about that husband? Right. He looks sus. And uh, this is this yeah, is no different. Because uh, a good 75% of the time, it was the husband. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. And then you have a very reserved, almost just level playing field, like no emotion husband here. And it's just like, whoa. Yeah. This this kind of hits you weird. But he's a dairy farmer, so how much how much what do you He expect? stays busy. He's hanging out with animals ninety percent of his life. Yeah. He stays busy from what I hear. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very busy. Um so of their two daughters, Michelle was the quiet one. She was the older one. Um Christy was the baby of the family, her father's favorite and a cheerleader. How are you gonna pick a and favorite? As I mentioned they it's fucked up. I know. How is it just going to flat out say right? that she was the favorite? Just a favorite, like in the article. That's that's terrible. Right. I'm guessing it wasn't him that said that. It was like you know ants or something like that that said that she was like the daddy's baby type of oh, thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Probably. I think if you if you hung around my household for a day, you would assume that uh, my daughter was my favorite because she's glued to me and we're always. <laughs> my son is like always hanging out with my wife, so uh, well I could see how you, that could happen. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. That doesn't mean I love him any less. It's just, it seems like... It's a different bond. He, she would be my favorite from an outsider's perspective. Right, right. Um, 
they were hardworking people, I'll tell you, said uh, Guinea, Guinea Etzler, Joe's mother. Um, quote, they'll do what they have to do, and that was that. Um, mm. And uh, it would be wrong to suggest that there were no rewards on the Rogers farm. Joe and Hal made a decent living and were proud of their self-sufficiency and the care that they showed the animals. Quote, you don't take no milk from them, so Hal would say. They give it to you, plain and simple. You work for that milk. You work for the cheese, the milk, all the dairy that they give mm-hmm. you. And the girls... They learned a lot of discipline, and they loved growing up on the farm. They loved the animals. Um, they loved the cows. Uh, they knew their personalities and quirks. Of course, they named all of the animals. Um, they had names for uh, – one of them was Sage. That was Michelle's favorite. And Rosie and Betty and Grandpa uh, and April and May and June. <laughs> These were all names of their animals. Um, Hal said that he usually stuck by, with calling them by number, but was inspired to give one of them the, the moniker of crazy oh, for obvious reasons. Right, right. He probably almost got kicked by it or something. This cow's right. crazy. You are trying to milk it, right. for, to be fair. Yeah, right. You are trying to steal from it. No, I'm just kidding. Try to milk me, you're getting kicked. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, Call me crazy. So yeah, they it was obvious. Obviously, long days of work uh, running a dairy farm. They had to plow the fields, plant the crops, harvest the crops. Sometimes, so they even had you know they were farming as well, yeah. not just getting dairy. But um, during harvest, Hal would go for three days straight without sleeping. They all pushed themselves, but uh, according to many that knew them, no one pushed themselves harder than Joe because she was she was uh, putting in just as much work on the farm as Hal was. But she also was a mother, and there's a little bit more work that comes to. Raising daughters when you're a mother. Right, and also she's the face of the family. You know, she's the one that's probably handling all the bills, making all the phone calls, you know. Taking the kids to and from school, I would imagine, and their activities. Exactly. I mean, she's the outgoing one. I'm sure Hal was like, no, 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 go on, I'll take care of the farm. He'd much rather be with the animals by himself doing his own thing. (laughs) So you could imagine the extra workload that she had. So I'm sure she needed a vacation more than anybody. Badly. Um, she actually, if you look at photos, she looked, I mean, it sounds mean, but she looked pretty like she was aging. She worked hard. Because of just all, like lack of sleep. She had the dark eyes under her, uh, circles under her right. eyes and things like that. She was, I think, believe 36. She was stressed. At the time. And she looked, she looked several years older than yeah, that. Yeah, she was stressed. And, and as we'll soon find out, there was other things going on amidst their family before this vacation yes. even started. So she yes. was under a lot of stress, not even counting the dairy farm and, and normal life duties, which we'll right. get to that. Yeah, this, this vacation was um, twofold. It was, it was because they hadn't gotten off the farm, for one, but also they needed a getaway because there was some serious, serious family drama that had occurred yeah. that they were dealing with on top of all of their farm duties as well. Yeah, that'll age um, you. And one of the hardest things about running a farm like that is you don't get a vacation. And in fact, when they left on vacation on May 26, 1989, and headed to Florida, it was the first time they'd ever left their home state. Wow. Um, and this would be a, a trip without Hal. Somebody had to stay home and take care of the farm. Um, the, the cows weren't going to milk themselves. It was... Yep. Somebody had to stay there right. and, and pick that up, so... Um, the night before, Joe had worked her usual midnight shift. She drove a fork. So she had a, f- a job as well on top of all this. Uh, outside of the farm, she had a job uh, running a forklift and working the assembly line at a Peyton's Northern, a distrib- uh, which was a distribution center for health and beauty products on the other side of the Indiana state line. Jesus, never stopped. She's working overnight shifts. Like, this, man. Never stopped. I can't imagine when she even ever got any sleep, you know? I know. No, no wonder she Insane. looked so much older than what she was. I mean... Yeah. Women ain't getting no rest. Yep. So the day they're leaving for that trip, she had worked an overnight, but she nonetheless had an epic trip, epic trip planned for her daughters. Um, they embarked on the journey 
in the family's 86 Oldmobile Calais. And they were, uh, they were leaving the farm, leaving the sheriff's deputies and the counselors and the lawyers searching for someplace warm and safe where they could hide and forget about all of the drama and all of the trauma that they had endured over the past year or two. Um, and we'll get into more of why, where all this drama came from and all of that in a little bit. But So they headed for the interstate highway. And about 50 miles after they left the farm, they reached the I-75. And from there, it was a straight shot all the way to Florida. By the time they stopped for the night, they made it clear through Kentucky, Tennessee, and were across the Georgia border. And a couple days into their trip, they visited the Jacksonville Zoo. Then they headed to Silver Springs and Cape Canaveral. It sounded like an amazing trip. Right. Like they, had, they were hitting everything. They were hitting everything they, on the way to Florida. Yep. Um, in Silver Springs, they took one of the farm... The, the famed glass bottom boat tours. That sounds pretty cool to me to do. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but you know, n- none of them could swim. I, I would not do that if I couldn't swim. Like for me, I think I'm a pretty strong swimmer. I would love to do that. But for this someone, part of it is so important to bring it, up because it's like some really dark foreshadowing here. Yeah. I can't help but like it's like a film to me when I think about this. Them on that boat with the glass bottom mm-hmm. and the fate that they end up with a couple days after this it's terrifying it's just it's yeah it's 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 so odd it's like how does things like this happen you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so yeah neither girl as you mentioned was a confident swimmer especially in water over their heads and their mother could not swim at all i mean Um, what did you expect from dairy farmers from ohio i mean yeah in a landlocked state they never left their state i mean even if you go to even if you go to the lake or go to the creek you're just you're just hanging out on the shore it's like why dive in Mm -hmm. this deep water when mm-hmm. you don't feel confident. But then you're going out into the ocean, into Tampa Bay? No. Yep. No. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so that Sunday night after they left Silver Springs, Joe and the girls drove to, to, to Titusville near Cape Canaveral and stayed at a quality inn. The next day, Joe wrote a, po- a postcard to Hal telling him how the girls were dragging every- her everywhere. <laughs> um, Michelle, meanwhile, wrote a postcard to her boyfriend, Jeff Feesby. Jeff's birthday was coming up in a couple of days, and, and Michelle decided to send him a card. On the back, she wrote, Hi, how is everything with you? I'm doing great. Yesterday, we went to the zoo in Jacksonville. I was visiting my relatives, and we found uh, Jeffrey, you. Uh, what does that mean? I think Later, that, we went to... I think she means like she saw maybe a monkey at the zoo and was saying that oh. <laughs> it was him or something. You <laughs> okay. see what I mean? She's like, yesterday, we went yeah, to the yeah, zoo. I, I was visiting my relatives, and we found you. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess it was just like joking thing. Because I read yeah, that yeah, a bunch, yeah. too. I was like, what is she trying to say here? Yeah. But yeah, that's the only thing and I she, can think she, of. She goes on to say, Later, we went to Silver Springs and rode in a glass-bottom boat. Today, we are going to a beach and then to SeaWorld. You have fun at work and behave yourself. Have a great birthday. I'll be thinking of you. I miss you. Love you, Shell. Um, so next on their trip would be SeaWorld, Epcot Center, and MGM Studios. And all the while, they were taking pictures with their Nikon one-touch camera as they moved through these days with countless photos, right. basically. And, and all of these would be recovered later and tell a tale of this story that was going great and ended horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, on June 1st, they headed to Tampa, where they checked in at a hotel, where their next destination would be Bush Gardens. Um, Joan had written down the directions. So this is, as we mentioned earlier, this is pre- uh, just being able to punch yeah. in Google, Google Maps in your Tesla screen or whatever, <laughs> your iPhone. Yeah, this is even pre-MapQuest. They couldn't even print them out. <laughs> yeah, I think they had uh, they had the map books, uh, but yeah, they had an you know, as far as going to businesses, those weren't marked in these things. Like something like going to Bush Gardens may not have been in the map, so they needed 
directions. Right. Their, maybe their hotel wasn't marked in the map, something along those lines. She had to handwrite down the directions to get to their destination, which was Bush Gardens, which they made it to. But then on the way back to the hotel, they became lost on June 1st during the drive to the motel mm. from Bush Gardens, at which point they were at a gas station and asked a man for directions. Um, they encountered a man who offered them directions and also offered to meet them uh, again at sunset uh, to take a cruise on his ocean liner. He had a he had a boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, this is and typical. so yeah, that would be something that they would take him up on, and it would be a terrible mistake. That that Thursday evening, they shot one more photo. It was the last snapshot on their roll, discovered in their room, taken from the balcony outside of their room, number two fifty one, with the camera pointed at the bay. It shows a cluster of palm trees silhouetted against a glowing evening sky. That picture was at the top of the article that I told you guys about earlier, Angels and Demons. Yes. Uh, um, it's basically like the banner of that article. And it, when you find out about that, it just adds more meaning to that picture when you so open it up. So haunting. Kind of make it, yeah, definitely. So sometime after they snapped that picture, the three of them left the Days Inn and drove toward the horizon. Joe followed the directions on a piece of paper the directions that the man at the gas station had given them to his boat dock. Um, mm-hmm. She and the girls were on their way, and that would be the last time that they'd be seen alive was at the hotel that evening before they left to go to his boat. Tragically, on June 4th, 1989, the bodies of three female bodies were found floating in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first body was found when several bo- people on board a sailboat crossing over or under the Sunshine Skyway saw an object in the water. The second was seen floating off the pier in St. Petersburg, two miles north of the first. And while the Coast Guards were recovering the second body, the call, a call about a third, which was seen floating 200 yards to the east, was received as well. All three were found fa- floating face down, bound with a rope around their neck, and naked from the waist be- uh, below the waist. Autopsies would show that all three victims had lungs, water in their lungs, proving that they had been thrown into the water while still alive. The partially dressed state of the bodies indicated the underlying crime was sexual assault and um, ropes with a concrete block at other at the other end had been tied around their necks to ensure that they died from either suffocation or drowning and that the bodies would never be found. The bodies, however, bloated as a result of decomposition and floated to the surface nonetheless. Wow. And uh, so it had been a couple days since this uh, crime had occurred, it would be determined. Yeah, they did not All account the t- for that. But yeah, this is this is what I meant earlier when I talked about just such a, a heinous, hard to understand crime where they were they were actually thrown in the water alive with these bricks tied around their neck, and this is one of the most monstrous ways to kill someone I've ever heard. Oh my I mean, God. we've heard of people torturing people and all that stuff, but this is up there as far as like the experience that they must have endured in the final moments of their life, yeah, you know, being alive and being thrown overboard with a brick tied around your neck. You're just trying to fight to get your head above water, but you can't. Mm. Especially for, as we mentioned, you know, three ladies that never learned to s- properly swim. Oh, it's worst well. nightmare. Worst nightmare. Yeah. They didn't even have a chance. It's like, even you know. if he didn't tie them, would they have been able to survive, you know? But right, tied up with a brick. I doubt it. Yeah. I don't think so but, either. But he, he didn't know that, obviously. I guess that's why he went to the full extent to make sure. But yeah, what's done in the dark comes to the light. In this case, is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. They floated right so, back up. So this was a, a, a tough start to an investigation here for the police. They didn't know much of what was, you know, they didn't have much to go with. The detect, all they had to go on were the bodies themselves and the clothing and the jewelry that they'd been wearing. 
Um, police didn't know who the victims were until a week later, by which time uh, Joan's husband and the girl's father, Hal, had reported them missing in Ohio. It would take the days in housekeeper for the um, victims to be identified. On June 8th, a housekeeper at the days in said that the Rogers family room had not been disturbed and the beds had not been slept in um, for several days. Um, She contacted the manager who contacted the police and fingerprints in the room would be matched to the bodies and final confirmation of the body's identities came from dental records as well. So now they knew at least who these uh, female bodies were, who they belonged to. They were a family from Ohio, and Mm -hmm. nothing in the case would be easy. To begin with, it had not been clear which city's police department should have jurisdiction over the murders. The bodies had been recovered in St. Petersburg waters, uh, but Joe and her daughters had disappeared from a motel room in Tampa. So a special task force was formed, made up of more than two dozen investigators from both cities, departments, and the Hillsborough County Sheriff's uh, Office as well. Uh, The Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the Florida Marine Patrol also helped out. Hell, um, so that's rare that they're all working together. Yeah, well, I mean, think about the just the nature the of these crimes. Like this monster yeah. needs to be caught. Obviously, someone who is willing oh. to do this and also has a boat and, and the means to do it, and is in a mm-hmm. city like Tampa where there's so many people traveling down there for you know obvious reasons. You know, you know yeah, Disney they're dependent on their tor- tourism as yeah, well. Yeah, tourism down there. Like he's got yeah. endless potential victims here that he can. Oh, absolutely. Uh, get, absolutely. But, um, it's probably they're probably also worried about it hurting the tourism down there. If the word got out of this crime, like people are maybe be a little nervous that to go down there if there's a monster like that roaming around. Oh yeah, you'd have to be crazy not to be. Yep. <clears throat> so they were able to determine that the the family was last seen alive at the hotel's restaurant at around 7:30 p.m. on June 2nd. Police also found Joan Rogers' car uh, the same day that they got identification of the the bodies. They also found the car. So a lot of stuff broke on that day. Um, which this was June 8th, and in the, inside the car they found a handwritten note. The note had directions to the boat ramp and a description of a boat, blue and white was all that she wrote, but blue and white. They knew they were dealing with potentially a blue and white boat. Yeah. Um, and also there was another set of handwritten directions on a brochure found in the vehicle. This handwriting was different from the other uh, set of directions, so it's believed mm-hmm. that one of them was the killer and one of them was Jones. Makes sense. Um Obviously, the Rogers women had met someone on the day they were killed, probably when they first reached Tampa, and this person had helped them find their way to the hotel. Um, but this, uh, who was this person? How did they meet them? That was all unknown. They didn't have anywhere to go with that. They just knew that that's most likely what happened. Right. Um, marine researchers at the University of South Florida estimated from currents and patterns that the victims were thrown from a boat and not from, not, uh, from a bridge or dry land. Um, between two and five days before they were found. Um, That's pretty amazing. They were able to tell that from the the past currents and, you know, just typical movement of the water. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Investigators originally thought two men were involved in the murders of the Rogers family due to the fact that it's abnormal for one stranger to gain control over three grown people like that. That's Mm -hmm. a... I I can see where they're coming from on that, definitely. But once you get... It, let's say you, you get people willingly onto a boat. It's not all that hard at that point to gain control over them, especially if you have a weapon. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the but boat, we don't boat's a sure scary a thing being on a boat uh, with someone you don't know. You know what I mean? Like potentially yeah. a stranger like this that's dangerous. Imagine that moment. Uh, the, I just, man, I, I, it's a terrible thought, but the moment that Joan realized that she'd fucked up, you know, and she just put oh, her daughter's life at risk like this. 
That I must know. have just... You're there with both of your daughters. I mean, yes. your whole world is there with you. The moment that he yeah. breaks, Fuck. He, he breaks his character, you know, and mm-hmm. he goes from being this nice, friendly guy to, okay, I've got you out here in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing they can do. And now it's time to be yep. the monster that I really am. The second that realization she must have had, or... holy shit. Oh, God. It's horrible. Stuff of horrors. Yeah. So let's let's go through the investigation. The police obviously started looking closest. It's usually they start at the, the center of, uh, of who the, the victims knew and worked their way out from there. So, of course, they were looking at Hal and other members of the family, and it just so happened that Hal's brother, John, was initially considered a strong suspect because he was also a scumbag, and he was yeah. in prison for rape at the time. And this is the drama that we mentioned earlier um, that the family that you know Joan and her daughters were trying to escape from on this trip yeah. was that um, John's brother, or Hal's brother, John, um, had been basically locked in prison just like a year prior for raping his ex-girlfriend uh, and videotaping himself doing so at knife point. Mm. During the investigation of the woman's rape allegations, they also found evidence that John, Hal's brother, had also sexually assaulted uh, Michelle. So basically, Michelle had been assaulted by her uncle. Um, and although charges involving this assault were later dropped because of uh, her reluctancy to testify, her uncle said, uh, she, she said that her uncle had raped her repeatedly over the prior two years, starting when she was 14. Mm. Uh, Michelle said John had taken advantage of the times when Hal and Joe were away from the farm, off on weekend trips or other business trips. She, uh, she said that he had tied her, hands by, tied her hands and forced himself on her, threatening to kill her if she told anyone. And all of this had occurred under Hal's and Joan's noses. Both of them had noticed that Michelle seemed irritable and even nervous around John. Uh, that she didn't like to be alone with him in the milking parlor. Um, and Joe had tried to get to Michelle, uh, get Michelle to tell her what was wrong, but Michelle wouldn't say anything. And Hal had written it off as a personality clash. So this was yeah. mm-hmm. some severe trauma they were going through, you know, the, right under their noses. Hal's brother had been doing this to his daughter. Absolutely. And he said, quote, if I had known what it was, I'd have killed the son of a bitch to start with. And but then, but why did you post bail to get him out of prison after you knew that he raped your daughter then? Yeah, so that was part of it too. Like the police were looking at this like, how? So yeah, Hal bails him out, helps to bail him out even after finding out about that. But apparently he had already made a promise to his family that he would bail him out before he knew. I don't give to a me, fuck. To me, I'm like, this I don't is, give a fuck. Yeah, I don't like, give a fuck. The Rot second I find out you did that to my daughter, not only by not bailing you out, but I'm going to be actively trying to fucking pay somebody in prison to shank your ass. Like, Yeah, I don't care what promise I made to family because you're not family anymore. Fuck you. You're hell gone. No. You're hell out no. of my whole life, like everything. And if you come back, there's going to be problems. Like, Oh, yeah. No. There's no, there's no dealing with that. I don't, I don't get that. But Hal was a person who didn't like confrontation, and yeah. you know what I'm saying. He was just, he was so reserved and strange in himself. It, no, knowing that he has a brother with this type of mental illness, it kind of explains a little bit, doesn't it? Yep. As to why Hal seems so clocked out, like the cops were so super Hal, suspicious. Hal receives of him. a like, lot of criticism when you read like um, comments and stuff about this case. And I think this, yeah. this part of it has to have has to play into it. That's the only thing I can think of. Because other than that, it's like this poor bastard has suffered about the worst run of things that you it's can like, endure. You know, well, like having has, his family murdered, having his daughter be raped for years prior to that. Like it's. I think. He didn't I ask think for what gives him. I think what gives him so much bad bad press is the fact that he had no reaction, though, Lauren. I mean, how do you lose your whole damn family and then you're just calm and cool and the cops come? 
like, oh, well, I got work to do. You know, I, I got things to do. I don't have time to, to, to be depressed about it. I'm like, I'll be damned. I lost my whole family. Like, that's just not normal. You, you yeah. lost your wife and both daughters, and then you just, everything just goes on as, as typical business. You don't miss a day at the dairy farm. I don't know, he, man. I don't know. Maybe he was just, uh, people like, we, deal we with mentioned stress he was a reserved ways. person. Maybe he kept a, yeah. all of his grief to himself, and maybe at nights he was, you know, drinking heavily and, and crying. Who right. knows? But right. Yeah. Like he, he de- there definitely, the farm had to be kept up with, and maybe that was his way of dealing with it was just getting back to work, and maybe he was afraid that, to face it. That's what I hope. That's what I mean. I, we I know. Hope. We know he had nothing to do with it. So right, right. And we know that people deal with trauma in different ways. So I, I tend to f- really feel for the guy, obviously. But it is it is odd that he he still like. Uh, it's it, just the coldness right after. Yeah, that that, yeah. that was bizarre. Hmm. <clears throat> so John Rogers, the the uncle that had been raping his his niece, denied everything. He said that he was being framed. Uh, the accusations and denials ripped the family apart. However, once the police established John could, could not have hired a contract killer, did not have accomplices, and could not have um, known the timing of his sister-in-law and niece's trip, he was dismissed as a suspect. So they determined he couldn't have had anything to do with, um, yeah. with the murders. Right. Hal was also considered a suspect because he had posted bail for his brother knowing that he had abused Michelle, as we briefly mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, Hal later said that he had promised the family he would post bail and would not renege on his promise. Investigators from Florida and Ohio also discovered that Hal had withdrawn $7,000 from his bank account at the time of the disappearance, which he was unable to account for. I mean, no, he, he had a gambling problem. I mean, it, it, I don't no, see how did. that money has anything to do with... I mean, maybe they're insinuating that he paid someone to kill his wife and daughters. I guess. Perhaps. But, he's, but he said he, was, he planned to use it to look for his wife and daughters. But mm. I wonder if it was ever like deposited back into the bank once he found out. Yeah. You know, that would Who be knows? interesting to know. I don't like when uh, authority, you know, banks and whatever, like the government wants to know why I withdrew money. Like, it's none of your fucking business. It's my money. It's none of your business. <laughs> it's my money. Away. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do too. I do too, man. Obviously, if my wife was murdered uh, and all of a sudden there's this big transaction, I guess that's part of the investigation is to look into what that's about. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so he said that he had planned to look, use the money to look for his wife and daughters before he notified of their death, as you, as you mentioned. Investigators proved conclusively that Hal had not left Ohio during that period, though. So what, you know, how, in what way? Maybe he hired a private investigator um, maybe. because he was too busy at the farm to go look himself. But what's up, Creepers? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of strict and stressful dietary and workout programs. That's why I love Noom. They use a psychological approach. Instead of a strict set of rules, they empower you with knowledge to make you smarter and make better decisions when it comes to your life and your health. Noom understands that people live busy lives and not everybody can be on a strict diet and spend multiple days at the gym. They have a healthier balance that's more moldable to your life. And as a result, it's more sustainable. A lot of people, they start these really strict diets and workout programs and they beat themselves up. And within a month or two, they burn out so bad that they go right back to their old ways. Noom is trying to help you change the way you look at things and change your psychology and build something that can last forever and, and change your health forever. Um, I've, my goal when I started Noom was just to be overall healthier. And I, I really feel that it's made a difference. Um, I have more energy because of the choices that I've made and the improvements that I've made to my diet by just by checking in every day with my new professional um, and in doing my 10 minutes on the app, I think about what I purchase at the store more than I did before. 
All these little changes, they build up into a big thing. With Noom's approach, you unlearn bad habits and you understand your relationship with food more. If you want to try Noom like I have and start building better habits for a healthier long-term result, sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash Creeper. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash Creeper. Once again, sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash Creeper. So the rape of Michelle Rogers and gossip by local people was one of the reasons for the Florida trip. Joan and her daughters wanted to distance themselves from the incident. Um, the case remained unsolved for three years. Uh, the case of jo- Joan and her daughter's murders, partly due to the volume of tips received by police investigators. It was it was a barrage of tips that all of them that they looked into led nowhere. Day after day, yeah. they described the boat in the news uh, releases and in flyers appealing to the public for help. They offered a $5,000 reward for anyone providing information leading to an arrest. Um, they would finally receive a big, a big lead uh, over that time from a Madeira Beach police bulletin that described a similar rape from a Canadian tourist. So they hear of this rape that occurred, and it's strikingly similar to the details of Joan and her daughter's murders. Judy yeah. Blair um, would later testify that approximately two weeks before the Rogers murders, a man had lured her onto his boat at night, and when she would not consent to his request for sex, he raped her. Judy and her friend Barbara had been vacationing in Tampa Bay when they met a man. He was older than the two of them, perhaps in his mid-30s. He was white, about five foot ten and 180 pounds, with blonde, slightly reddish hair and a ruddy complexion. He said his name was Dave Posner, or Dave Posno. The woman wasn't sure, and that he owned an aluminum company, like an aluminum siding company, and lived in Bradenton. According to Judy, the man took her out on his boat one morning and returned her to shore that afternoon. She added that the man invited both women to join him for a, la- a nighttime boat ride, um, but when Barbara did not uh, meet her at the dock that evening. Judy and the man went out in the boat together. And this seems to be the reason that he didn't kill uh, Judy because he knew that Barbara knew that, you know, they had had this interaction that she was going to go out on this Uh. boat ride. So that was a, you know, someone that could turn him in if she ended up dying. Mm -hmm. Um, She stated that once they were offshore, he began making unwanted advances toward her. When she resisted, the man repeatedly battered her sexually, then returned her to shore to let her live, uh, to let her leave. Unfortunately, Barbara's description and the sketch didn't help locate the man initially. So mm-hmm. they they actually got a composite sketch done, which knowing who the killer is now and what he looked like at the time was actually pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, so over the after over the two two and a half years had passed with the killer still on the loose, police got desperate. They had the the composite sketches all over billboards in the Tampa area. Um, that wasn't bringing in any suspects, so they tried something that had never been tried before. They posted images of the killer's handwriting from the brochure on the billboards in the Tampa Bay area. So they've got his face everywhere. Now they've got his handwriting posted up on billboards. And this would be the yeah. first use of billboards by law enforcement in the U.S. Billboards became useful tools in searches for missing people. But yeah, I was about um, to say, I've seen billboards advertising for missing people but never trying to catch a culprit like this like do you recognize this handwriting or do you recognize this vehicle or you you never see that i've i've never seen that on billboards um but yeah that's pretty interesting figures they would they would start doing that in florida Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) that's where they need it yeah so amazingly it would work uh in response to the billboards police received a call from a man who thought uh from a woman my bad uh who thought that the handwriting matched his former neighbor this uh, this woman had been already suspicious of this neighbor that she had had, and she'd seen the police sketches on on the mm-hmm. news and things like that. And I'm like, man, that really looks like my old neighbor. And uh-huh. uh, she initially was reluctant to report it, but when she saw the billboard's handwriting and talked to another neighbor of hers, 
um, about it, the neighbor was like, you know what? I have a invoice. He had done, uh, the neighbor that had moved away had done some uh, work on my house. He'd put installed some aluminum siding. Yeah. And yeah, that's a connection right there from to the yep. rep, the aluminum siding thing. And mm-hmm. hence to the title of this episode, Tin Man. Um, she was like, I have this invoice with his handwriting on it. We can compare it to the billboard. Um, and his handwriting was so strange because he yes. capitalized every T. So even if the T was in the middle of the word, he would capitalize it. There was a few. To, there was a few how to draw a lower place he, T. It wasn't just T's. He capitalized no. another letter too. Um, he also he also drew Y's differently. He had like three or four different ways he would write a Y depending on where it was. In not the, only in did he capitalize paragraph. T's, but the T's were massive. Like they just stuck out. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, it was, it was a like very, a roof over the word. <laughs> it was a very unique writing style that no did deal. not do him any favors because <laughs> no. the, the, the invoice for the work that he'd done for the neighbor matched perfectly with the handwriting that was on the billboard that was on the directions that he had wrote to the victims. Uh, yeah. You know. At first glance, when I'm looking at the the invoice, or not the invoice, but the, the directions or whatever that he wrote on the brochure, mm-hmm. I'm like, was he trying to send them like a code? Because there's, <laughs> like right. there's like random capitalized letters. And I'm like, I was sitting there, like I paused the YouTube video and I'm like trying to put the capital letters together. I'm like, okay, no, this doesn't spell anything. Right. <laughs> he just writes really strange, yep. which, which really helped get him caught in the end. It was almost like some Zodiac writing. Yeah, yeah, it, it was strange. Yeah, so uh, the the neighbor, the woman would uh, provide a copy of the work order that she'd gotten from her neighbor um, that showed Oba Chandler, 46-year-old Oba Chandler was the neighbor uh, who did the work, and it was a perfect match. Um, At the time, Oba Chandler was a 45-year-old man living with his wife and daughter across the state in Port Orange near Daytona Beach, and detectives started to realize some other interesting things. Uh, the man who had raped the Canadian woman had told the victim that he owned an aluminum siding company. Uh-oh. And this Oba Chandler, that's what he did for a living. He was a, a personal contractor doing that work. Right. And a quick check with state records showed that Chandler had owned a Bayliner boat in 1989 at the time of both the rape and the Can- of the Canadian tourist and the Rogers murders, and that Uh-oh. he had sold the boat three months after the murders. Obviously that's trying sus. to cut ties with what he had done. Uh, records from the Florida Department of Motor Vehicles also showed that during the same period, Chandler owned a dark, a dark blue Jeep Cherokee, strikingly similar to the vehicle driven by the man who had raped the Canadian tourist. He was the registered owner of the Jeep until the following year when it was repossessed. So seemed like mm. he had moved, he had sold his boat, he'd let his Jeep become repossessed. He was trying to cut all ties from the rape and the murders that he had committed Absolutely. in the Tampa area. Um, mm. Oba, it also, you know, it's alleged how he had uh, potentially done this when the police are trying to figure out how he would have done this crime. Obviously, he knew he had the boat. He had the vehicle matching the description. He had the same job as what he had told the other victim. But um, they surmised that he may have used the fact that he was born in Ohio to lure, um, the, ch- lure the family into a feeling of connection to him. Joan, yeah. you know, Joan was from Ohio. He was from the same area. I think he, he grew up only 100 miles from where their farm was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew Joan and her daughters were not from Florida because he saw the Ohio license plates on the car. It's amazing how well that works. And if, yeah. and if you don't think that works, travel somewhere else and then run into somebody that's from where you are. And I swear to God, it's like you feel like you trust them just a little bit more for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. When I lived in Vegas, anytime I heard someone with a Southern accent, I felt comfortable. I felt more comfortable with them. And it was just, not that I trusted them, not that I was just going to go to their house or whatever, but I just felt more comfortable, I have to admit, right yeah. off the bat. So when you meet someone that's like, oh yeah, where y'all from? Oh, y'all from Ohio. Yeah, me too. You know, mm-hmm. it just, it just kind of, it does. It makes you let your guard down a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it was believed that um, they, they, they boarded Chandler's boat on the dock on the Courtney Campbell Causeway between 8.30 and 9 p.m. Um, and were dead by 3 a.m. the next day. Oba, Oba Chandler owned that aluminum siding company, which is where the handwriting sample came from that was uh, given to police. And right. that's how they came up with the code name. As they turned their attention to their prey, the members of the task force tried to keep his real name out of the conversations and even in their reports. Uh, they didn't want to be paranoid, but they had no desire to get word for word to get out that Chandler was the man that they were after. So they called him by a different name, a name that played off his line of work, a name that was perfect for someone who had, who was a suspect with no heart. They called him the Tin Man. All right, that's damn clever. Yeah, it, that's pretty it fits, clever. Fits perfectly. Yeah, it he does. is a man with no heart. I didn't think about the no heart aspect. Mm-hmm. So let's get into Oba Chandler, the Tin Man. He was born October 11th, 1946 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Shares mm-hmm. a birthday with Cardi B, TJ Watt, and Artie Lang. Wow. He's undeserving. It's a group of cool motherfuckers right there. Yeah. You get out <laughs> of that group, you goddamn Chandler. Right. Some beasts in their industries right there. Seriously. Artie Lang Top in comedy, TJ and, and the NFL's sacking mofos on the weekly, and Cardi B. Yeah, in music, being featured Killing in like music. everybody's fucking album. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants Cardi B on a track these days. Yeah. It's crazy. <clears throat> So yeah, quite a group. Um, Oba was the fourth of, fifth of five children and some pretty serious Oof. trauma in his childhood. Uh, Here we go. His, his father hung himself in the basement when he was 10 years old. Okay, and that could affect someone. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you, you would hope that he, you know, he wasn't the one to discover that. That would be something that would never leave your mind if you, if you walked into the basement and saw that. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um. At the funeral, Chandler reportedly jumped into his father's open grave as the gravediggers were covering the coffin with dirt. Oh, Quote, no. every time another shovel of dirt got thrown in, his cousin said the boy would jump in and stomp it down. How bizarre. Oh, oh. Stomp How bizarre it down. is that? Oh, I couldn't figure not... out the meaning behind this. Was he, like initially uh, uh, when I heard that he jumped in, like I was imagining he was just distraught and, you know, not, not wanting it to happen. And then when I heard the stomping the dirt down thing, it was almost like. Yeah, you threw me a curveball there. Yeah. Like what is oh, what is the meaning behind that? Maybe he maybe he hated his dad. Yeah. Oh my know. goodness. Very weird. Or maybe he was just a a weird kid who was mm-hmm. just playing a game. Yeah. Because you know when I was I was eleven when my great grandmother died and I still don't think I really processed all of it. I remember like being at the funeral home and being outside like playing with friends and stuff at the yeah, time. Yeah. It, it just it, you know it just didn't hit me. It yeah. doesn't hit you as a kid. It's it's just all it's all a game. It's like, yeah, we'll go see grandma next week. Oh wait, mm-hmm. she's she's gone. You know, it it takes a while. Yeah. Um and as and as, as a ten year old, who knows? He could just be he could have just been an unruly ten year old that just didn't behave and was just goofing off at the funeral. He was definitely an unruly teen. He would get in he would be a troublemaker okay. as a youth and it would obviously continue on. Um he started stealing cars when he was fourteen years old. And by the time he was 18, he had been arrested 20 times. Um, he he would go on to join the Marine Corps, but deserted shortly after. And so common with us when you oh, here we serial go. killers when right. we study, they they almost always have a stint in the military that's short lived yeah. because they can't about, they can't cut it as far as like dealing with the discipline on a regular basis. I was about to say, yeah, an unsuccessful stint in the military. Yeah, so common with serial killers. Um. And he would, he would, throughout his adulthood, he would have a, my, a myriad of identities that he'd made up with varying careers, including x ray tech, mechanical draftsman, apartment manager, 
and obviously aluminum siding man, uh, aluminum siding company owner, but that, that actually was something he was doing. He actually, yeah, he, he actually did, did do that. that. <laughs> These other things, I don't, I don't know how many of them he actually did. I mean, maybe he did was an apartment manager at some point, but uh, the X-ray tech and mechanical draftsman, I doubt, because you have to go through some extensive schooling to to do either of those. Right. I, I say apartment manager is not that big of a jump from aluminum siding yeah. manager. I, I think what he was doing was probably just doing handyman work around an apartment. Yeah. And then that slowly moved to aluminum siding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit more about his personality. Um, allegedly, he seemed to enjoy frightening people. He had repeatedly threatened those around him, put them on edge, and hurt them. For a while, as a younger man, he drove a black van decorated with a mural on the side showing a motorcycle oh, rider speeding through a graveyard. Oh, my God. No, he didn't. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I need to see a picture of this. I know, right? Oh, my God. I'm going to do a quick Google search to see if I can find anything. There's Probably no way not. you're finding that. Oh, my gosh. I need to see that, though. I know, right? It's Oba got Chandler's freaking Ghost Rider on the side. It. That would be gold if you could find that. That's going to be the, the artwork for this week's episode <laughs> if you find it. <laughs> I might have to create Or maybe you have to make that. it yourself, dude. Like, just... You're, yeah, you're pretty you know handy with, with Photoshop. If you can't find one, just, just design <laughs> your own. I'll just make one. Yeah. I'll figure out something. But yeah, yeah I would love to see that van with Ghost Rider on the side, whatever the hell this is. Right. So Oba had also married multiple times and is estimated to have had at least eight children with seven different women. As an adult, mm-hmm. his rap sheet included prowling, burglary, kidnapping, armed, armed robbery, and possession of counterfeit money. So you imagine wow. when the police get the connection made with his handwriting from his former neighbor and they look into this guy, they're like, this sure seems to be the guy. Like, this is the type mm-hmm. of guy that you would imagine would do something like this. No doubt. Um, he had a viol- uh, history of violence towards women and was once, qua- once caught masturbating outside of a woman's window. On one occasion, he and, a co- he and an accomplice broke into a home and held a couple at gunpoint. At one, at one point during that uh, altercation, Oba tied up the man with speaker wire and took the woman into another room where he made her undress, tied her up, and rubbed the gun up and down her body. Mm. Um, eventually, Oba moved to Tampa, Florida, where he married a woman named Deborah Whitman. Or Whiteman. Um, in 1988, the couple purchased a home together on Dalton Avenue. Dalton Avenue would be the, uh, the street he lived on with the neighbor, Jones, uh, Joanne Steffi, who ended up reporting him. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. In so February of 1989, date. Deborah Chandler gave birth to a daughter, Whitney, so he was a father as well. Mm-hmm. Their house was located on a canal which had a small crane nearby which could be used to lower small boats into the water. May have played a role into why he picked that neighborhood to move to because he had that boat. Right. I, I, he honestly felt like he got that boat just as a means to abduct and rape women. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And his house and his dock was less than a half a mile from where they suspected he dropped the bodies. Mm-hmm. It's so, all too convenient. Yeah. Like he picks Tampa, really is. which is such a, a, a transient place, so much tourism and all that stuff, like, which is perfect mm-hmm. if you're trying to, you know, rape and kill random women. Right. And, and then having a boat is just all that more easy to get rid of them. And also uh, it gets you, a, it, it, it's a reason for them to be one-on-one with you in a situation they can't get out of. If you can convince them to go for a ride, he's probably just shooting his shot a bunch like Ted Bundy did, going to the beach and just, hey, oh, you want to yeah. go for a ride in my boat? You know, like striking up conversations. Right. He's getting turned down more than he's getting I acceptance. have a feeling this dude killed a lot more women than he's been given credit for. And I think law enforcement does, they, they believe that as well. It's just, they have yes. to, it's going to take time, DNA and, con- and making connections and all that. But With we know the, of this at guy least one been. more woman that he did kill that DNA connected him to that we'll talk about in a little bit, but I'm sure there's more. 
yeah, and it, like I like you said, if there's that one, then surely there's more. And he was so so used to this whole routine. Like you mm-hmm. said, everything just fit perfect. He had a van, he had a boat, he had yep. alibis. I mean, he owned his own company, so he could be mm-hmm. wherever he wanted at any given time. Yep. Oh, it's just a perfect setup. Mm-hmm. So uh, we mentioned how after uh, the murders, he he kind of cut ties and he moved. In October of 1991, the Chandlers were leasing a house, not eager to have their credit card problems follow them. The couple put the lease in on a three-year-old Oh, in their three-year-old Whit- uh, three-year-old's name, Whitney. Oh my God! <laughs> in Port Orange, near Daytona Beach, they still live there on the southwest side of town in a middle-class subdivision known as the Woods. Uh, Chandler's neighbors would later describe him as a normal, friendly man. They didn't know what he did for a living, as far as they could tell. He was unemployed, but he seemed nice. He had a new boat, and sometimes he offered rides to neighborhood children, asking them to join him fishing. That oh my part God! No, gave me fucking chills. No, 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 no. Oh no, my no, God. No. Never let your kids go for a ride in a boat with a stranger. That's just a oh my God. general like piece of life advice that saying. I shouldn't even have to tell you. That should just yeah. be instinctual. <laughs> yes, it should. But in 92, I guess it, yeah. it was not. Uh. Even more so in 92. Nowadays, at least you have a phone that like you can con- keep constant touch with them, and you can like GPS track where they're going and all yeah. that stuff, and it's a little bit more like risky for someone to try and do something Dude, at that point. Honestly, it was a more dangerous world, but we were just so much more ignorant. Yeah. So much more ignorant to everything around us. Yeah. So Oba, they, they, the police had been, um, they'd had him under surveillance watch for a while, and eventually they finally felt they had enough, you know, evidence gathered and whatnot, and enough circumstantial evidence that it was time to make an arrest. And they arrested him on September twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two, and it would take two more years to finally take him to trial. Um, he denied wow. everything the whole time. He, you know, it, it, we'll find out later the extent to which he admitted to, you know, he, could, he couldn't ex- explain away the directions that he had given them. They knew, you know, th- he knew that they knew that he had met this family um, right. and handwritten them directions to his boat and things like that. But uh, that was as far as he would go. He denied the murders all the way until he was executed. But so the trial began in late September 1994 on a brilliant sunny day, five years after the murders. So it took five years following the murders to finally start the trial for the, the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Due to the local publicity surrounding the case, the jurors were chosen in Orlando and then taken to Pinellas County, where they were subsequently uh, sequestered for the duration of the trial. Doug Crow had no time to worry about such questions. He was too busy giving his opening, so Doug, Doug Crow would be the prosecutor. Um, and mm-hmm. his outlining of the prosecution case, I will give some quotes to. The evidence will show that these three women were murdered in this premeditated fashion by the man. Um pointed toward him, toward the defendant, who sits across from you in the courtroom today, Oba Chandler. Using a boat under apparent cover of darkness, the killer committed a crime miles out in the open water where there were no witnesses, save the dead victims, to see or hear or remember what happened. And by using the boat, which the killer then removed and obviously cleaned up, he left no scene for the police to investigate. But the police went backwards, and they began looking at the pattern in the case. And the pattern emerged to them, and they saw what helped them to make a connection." Um, so let's go over some more of the evidence that they had. They had cru- uh, crucial testimony from Crystal Mays, one of Oba Chandler's daughters. It's interesting. His he had several kids. He had a son. He had a son and two daughters, I believe, at least. Well, we mentioned how he had like eight kids with seven different women or something like that. But of the ones yeah. that were still around and enough to know him, um, they had different takes. Like one of his daughters was absolutely convinced he was a monster and that he did it. One of his other daughters uh, was convinced he was innocent. One of his sons was convinced he was innocent. 
Um, but mm. Crystal Mays, one of Oba Chandler's daughters, told the jurors that her father had made incriminating statements to her during a visit not long after the murders. Quote, he told us he couldn't go back to Florida because they were looking for him for a rape of a woman. Imagine telling your wow. daughter that. Like, that's that's bizarre. I was just about to say, the, the, the gall of him to tell his daughter mm-hmm. that. Wow. And, and she still... <laughs> Like stood well. I guess she didn't stand by. Oh, she him. was. Obviously, I think she, she was the one in. that was uh, willing to testify against him and believed yeah. he was a monster. She felt like she had to at mm-hmm. that point. Absolutely. I mean, with that kind of confession, mm-hmm. my God. Um, more evidence: a palm print found on the brochure also matched Chandler, um, who had sold his boat and left town, as we mentioned. Um, Judy Blair identified a green. So Judy Blair plays a big role. She was the woman from Canada that had been raped. She testified to what had happened to her. Um, at the hands mm-hmm. of this man. And also, she identified a green shirt taken from Chandler's residence as similar to one he was wearing when he allegedly raped her. Her testimony on the stand was a huge part of the prosecution's case. Um, Robert Carlton, a man who bought Chandler's boat in ni- August of 1989, testified that he observed several concrete blocks with holes in them at Chandler's residence. That, yeah. I don't know how much you can really put weight into. Like, how many people have... Like, a, lot a lot of people, people have cinder, cinder blocks, blocks at their house. It doesn't... I don't yeah. know. It's a pretty common thing to have, to be honest with you. If it were in it his is. boat, like he con- con- kept them in his boat, that would be a lot more damning to me. Yeah, or like, if they're sitting by the they're sitting by the boat in the driveway with like ropes already tied through them and shit. Yes, like that might be a little more incriminating. Yeah, but then you could always be like, well, that's my that's my temporary uh, anchor. I don't have an anchor. Right yeah, now, so I'm, there's always there's always ways around that shit. But like you said, cinder blocks are a normal thing. I mean, shit, I got mm-hmm. cinder blocks on my property. Like, yeah, but it's just one more connection. Common. You know, no doubt. No doubt. Um, as many of these narcissistic killers do, against their the, the advice of their attorneys, they, they take the stand oftentimes, and Oba was no different. He took the stand to defend himself. Um, ad- he admitted to meeting the Rogers at the gas station and giving them directions and even writing directions to his doc, but he claimed that he never saw them after that. Oh, wow. He's saying, he already, he basically saying he gave them directions and offered them to go on a ride in his boat, and they never took him up on that, was his story. Yeah. Okay, and he was cross-examined, of course, by the prosecution, and and was basically all, all over the place. You know, they they caught him in a bunch of lies and shit like that, and the jury hated him from all accounts. Like this article talked about how the jury members are just like, yeah, they didn't believe the word he was saying. He was he was clearly a narcissistic killer in their eyes. Yeah, and you it, look at the photos. He looks like somebody who would be like on Sopranos. Like this motherfucker. Yeah, he he looks he looks like he would. He was full of shit, mm. but also very confident about it. He had a Ridgeway uh, vibe to him. You know, a lot of these dudes are like personal yeah. contractors, um, mm-hmm. and they they he also had like the um, Dahmer glasses as well. He had like a he was like a concoction of different serial killers. His look, yeah, very cold later eyes. On, later on in life, he had that he had those Dahmer glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he had like that mafia boss look in some of these photos, man. When the early trials were yeah, happening, he's like a hitman type of thing, right? Yeah, he kind of kind of grungy like a, what's looking. The Iceman, what's the Iceman's name? Kuklinski, uh, Richard Richard Klinski or something. Yeah. He kind of he kind of favors him. Yeah. To be honest, he's got the pop marked face. Mm-hmm. You know, he got that stone cold looking stare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy. So he the jury didn't lot. have to deliberate long. I think it took, I, I read it took five minutes of deliberation. They all already have, were guilty. There was no arguing to be made. There was no one that was on the side of innocence. Um, and yeah. he, would, he was found guilty of the murders and sentenced to death on November 4th, 1994. And maintained his innocence and continued to pursue legal appeals 
while on de- Florida's death row for a while. Um, he admitted to the Madeira Beach incident, but said that the sex was consensual. So that was the Canadian woman that he had raped. Um, mm-hmm. He said that it was consensual and that the victim had changed her mind during the act because Chandler had already been sentenced to death for the Rogers murders and because prosecutors did not want to subject Blair to an emotional trauma of a rape trial, he was never prosecuted for Blair's rape. At that point, yeah, I mean, he's already gotten given the death penalty and yeah. everyone knows because of that trial they that know what he had happened. raped Blair. He even admits that yeah. he had sex with her. Right. Um, so yeah, there's no need for another trial on that. Um, his execution was set for November 15th, 2011 at 4 p.m. Um, his lawyer, uh, Bea Her- Hend- uh, Harrison, said that Chandler asked him not to file any frivolous appeals to keep him alive. Um, and on November 15th, it was, in fact, carried out. November 15th, 2011, Oba Chandler was executed at 4.08 p.m. at the Florida State Prison in Rayford. Chandler declined to make a last... Uh, declined to make a last statement before being executed, but left a written, written statement with prison officials saying, quote, you are killing an innocent man today. Oh, God. Fuck off. Shut so it's just good to up. know that you're, like, even to the end, you're still a fucking absolute piece yeah. of shit that won't even admit to anything. Wow. Um, after I'm glad he got caught in Florida, though. Best place to, oh, dude, yeah. to follow they through on the death penalty. They don't waste too much time killing you, although no, he did sit around don't. for, like, 17 years, something like that, in prison waiting to be killed, but shit like mm-hmm. we know in california randy Kraft is still sitting on death row after like four I was about years to say, yeah and yeah. he'll never be killed he'll die in prison absolutely that was our first episode of true crime guys was randy Kraft years ago and he had already been yeah. on death row at that point for 30 plus years and he's not going anywhere he's just hanging out with other killers playing chess right now probably yeah watching tv mm-hmm. he seems like more of a life. checkers guy i don't know yeah, probably more of a checker. I don't guy. know. Randy Kraft had an insanely high IQ, though. Maybe he's like the chess master of San Quentin. Who knows? There's a lot of other, uh, you know, allegedly high IQ people locked up in San Quentin as well. So, yeah. so after his ex- execution, Chandler was described as quote the loneliest man in the loneliest place on earth, death row. He didn't receive a single visitor during his years in Florida's death row unit. That's that's nice Good. to hear. That is good to know. Even his children that, that actually know. believed in his innocence don't, didn't feel strongly enough to go visit him. Nah, they couldn't deny it. And here's where uh, another victim was connected to this man, and we are convinced that there's many more that hopefully get mm-hmm. solved um, due to DNA connection to him because they obviously have his DNA on file, and I think there's going to be more unsolved cases that connected to this. There's just no way that he only killed, um, you know, that he only killed that family and then this woman. So on February 25th, 2014, investigators revealed that DNA evidence identified Chandler as the murderer of uh, Ivalisi Berrios Bergisi, uh, who was raped and strangled in Coral Springs, Florida, on November 27th, 1990. Um, she was a 20-year-old 20, a 20 newlywed and was last seen at Sagra, Sawgrass Mills Mall, where she worked at a sporting goods store. So when, when she didn't return home, her husband went to the mall and found her car, which was a 1985 Ford Tempo, and it had its tires slashed. It's believed that Oba, after watching the victim for two days, slashed the tires, arrived in the in the guise of a helpful stranger, and offered to help. Mm-hmm. Three hours after she was reported missing, her body was found under a residential mailbox in a local neighborhood by two men returning from a fishing trip. Um, her body was naked and had ligature marks on both wrists and legs, and brown tape stuck to her hair. Uh, the case is now considered solved and, uh, and closed to police. Um, law enforcement agencies in Florida investigated other cold cases in areas Chandler was known to have uh, resided. But I think they need to go 
to other states as well and and just test his DNA against other missing, you know, against other Jane Doe's and things. Absolutely. Or, or um, just unsolved murders because we know that he was born and raised in Ohio. Right. And I think you check every state between Ohio and Florida. Yes. And just just run all of those um, That's an easy unsolved drive. murders DNA that you, ha- do you have DNA for of, a, you know, an unknown perpetrator against his DNA. Yeah. See, originally, I thought when I was looking into this case, I was like, I don't know how many victims are really going to find this guy if his method was throwing them out in Tampa Bay. I mean, somebody got lucky right. and But apparently past- he's willing to throw them out in the street, too. He's willing to pick That's them up what- in a vehicle and kill... He didn't just kill them on boats. We know that now for sure. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If the So the boat thing must have been a much, uh, you know, a later... Something a later adaptation later on. Yeah. Yeah, I think early on, he wasn't on the water. He just realized that the water was the easiest way to get rid of people and the best way to get them out away from anywhere. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, who knows, man? Maybe he was killing people in Ohio, you know, on their way yep. to moving to Florida, and he just realized living on a large body of water is the best way to do this forever. Yep. I think we will, over the coming years, I think we'll hear more Um victims that were connected to Oba Chandler. Yeah, me too. Me too. Hopefully some closure. Me but too. Uh, but either way, at least he at least he's gone. At least he paid for yes. him. You know, he paid with his life. Um you know, not in the fashion that he made his victims suffer through. No. But uh no of course not. But at least we can know that he got the greatest penalty that he could have gotten, I guess, for it. Yep. That son of a bitch. That son of a bitch. All right. Well, there's Oba Chandler. The Tin Man. Yep. Tin Man. Well, speaking of Tim, you don't want uh, tin. You don't want aluminum in your armpits. No, uh, you don't. You want aluminum siding. Probably last a while, but not. You don't want the aluminum in your armpits. That's not good. No. Nope. You nope. you need an you need an all natural deodorant in there. An all natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specifically specializing in paraben and aluminum free products like Oh My Gaia. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from. Something that could probably match the deodorant you're with now. From anything from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, bergamot amber, barbershop, sailor, pear, sweet pea. And we have our very own scent, True Crime Pine, made just for the true crime guys. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order at shop underscore Omigaya on Instagram or on omigaya.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And again, guys, use the word creeper for 15% off your order. You won't regret it, guys. Right. Do it. Oh my god! All right. Best natural deodorant I want to. I want to take a moment to thank everybody who's taken the time to go and rate and review our show Absolutely. on iTunes um, or wherever you rate and review. Um, all you have to do if you want a shout out is click five stars and then put something in the comment section, even if it's just a fire emoji or thumbs up, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you want to write a nice long um, review of our show, which a few people have done in the past couple of weeks. So I want to thank... Leanne, 76, in the U.S., said, Great podcast. Love these guys. Been listening for a while and love the content and the guys. Definitely one of my favorite true crime podcasts. Thank you, nice. Leanna. Yeah, Leanna, 76. Right on. Thanks. And we man. got Wise Guy 613. Wise Guy. Wise Guy. Uh, in the U.S., 
Uh, he says, hi, I am Wyatt from New Jersey and was never into true crime until the true crime guys fell into my lap. <laughs> First started listening to Strange and, Strange and Unexplained because I was more into the paranormal side of things. Cool. The music is awesome and Lauren Synopsis got me uh, from the get-go. Uh, <laughs> says, I think it was the Alonzo Brooks case that really made me become a super fan because now I'm hooked on all things true crime. Um, when haul, hauling garbage early in the morning to mowing, ranking, raking, and landscaping in the afternoons, your show is a gem and the highlight of my week. Um, so yeah, thank you, yeah. Uh, Wyatt from New Jersey. Right on, appreciate that. Definitely welcome aboard. I'm glad that we got you into true crime. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's kind of cool. That it's like I, I don't think we've ever heard that where it's like I wasn't into true crime at all, and then I found you, and now I'm super into true crime. Yeah, that's a, a first. <laughs> right on. We're converting, converting yeah. people. Um, then we got. Not your grandma's civic. <laughs> U.S. says, best true crime podcast, five stars. Great podcast. Love the jokes and sheds light on such dark topics. Binged all the episodes. Can't wait for more in the future. Nice. Thank you. Then we got Philly Heat in the U.S. said, love the humor, music, crime, lines, and honest pronunciations. <laughs> five stars. Fire emojis uh, and knives. Very nice. Very nice. Appreciate you. Uh, then we got Lily May 5. Uh, says it's not bad and gave us five stars. I will take that. I will take it. Uh, yeah. I, she says I think overall they have uh, th they show a reverence for the victims and their family. Research is pretty good. Uh huh. Um, and and then in parentheses she said some of these podcasters only use Wikipedia. Their oh my guy transitions are goofy, but usually a nice relief from the heavy contact. Thanks guys. <laughs> P.S. Kind of glad you don't push a political and party or narrative. That crap gets old. Please stay away that way. We've we've. Um, decided that early on, like yes. right from the get go of this show years ago, that we were not going to get political ever. That's just, right. It's best to just stay out of all of that and just pr do what we're set out to do, which is talk true crime. That's right. So. It's a true crime podcast, not a politics podcast. Yeah. Yep. But we appreciate that. Um, very much. And then we got uh, No Likey, who we seem to hear from a lot, No Likey, yeah. but I appreciate all the support. Uh, says, bring up those ratings, five stars, loyal listener. <laughs> Thank you, No Likey. Thank you. Uh, in the U.S. And one more, we got the Rojo in the U.S. Uh, says, y'all are awesome. Five stars, love the show, love the banter, love the jokes, love the music, especially the outro. Love the cases you cover, love the creative way you segue into Oh My Guy, and love Strange and Unexplained. <laughs> Last but not least, love you guys. Great show. Thank you, the Rojo. Right on. Right on. We appreciate that, guys. More people are getting into everything true crime guys have to offer with our other shows. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, we're hearing a lot of uh, um, also shout-outs to Strange and Unexplained, which yeah. is our other podcast. Very Michael centric. However, I do play my role with the synopsis. But Lauren's synopsis. Unlike anything you've probably heard in podcasting, uh, I don't think any any other shows do it that way, where two people study separately and give their takes without uh, the influence of the other person. Right, which is very different from our, this show. Obviously, we influence each other heavily throughout this, and we have a lot of conversation. But yeah. that one, I study on my own, and I do my synopsis and send it to him. He hasn't heard my take until he plugs it into the show. Yep, and then he reacts to it after hearing it. That's yeah, that's a genuine reaction. I'm literally right. The the piece of audio that comes in right after Lauren's synopsis is me giving my genuine take on his synopsis. I I, I do that on purpose. I don't want him to influence any of the other information. You know, I don't want him to influence my opinion. Um, if he finds something that I don't, great. You know, the listener still benefits. That's what I love about this setup is that you as a listener, you still get all of the information. You still get all the input. So even if I forget something or if my wife, Kristen, who is who is the writer for Sandu, if she forgets something, Lauren is there to help us out and kind of pick up the pieces. And it also helps, uh, helps you get one more glimpse of the story and put everything together. It's like, mm -hmm. Lauren's like, yeah, you just heard this, but just in case you didn't get it, like, here's a quick recap of what, you know, the characters and what happened. And then you get to hear his opinion at the end, which I think it's, it's just, 
I knew it was going to be a cool way to do a podcast, but I just didn't realize that it would it would turn out as good as it did. I, I really enjoy it. And it gives me something to look forward to as well as the podcast producer. Mm-hmm. It gives me something all the way up until the release date to, you know, to, to talk about and to look forward yep. to. So we appreciate yeah, all and the And that show there. is a lot more unsolved and and, and mm-hmm. there's some paranormal episodes. There's there's all kinds of like conspiracy episodes. And yeah, it's Missing different, a little different than what we do yeah. over here. We don't do as much unsolved stuff. We like a nice, clean... Uh, beginning, middle, and end to our cases on True Crime Guys. Right, but right. If you want something different, <laughs> check out Strange and Unexplained. That's right. That's right. But if you want more True Crime Guys, we also have a Patreon page, which has a shitload of content. Oh. I mean, we've been we've had our Patreon page now for over three years, and there's, I don't know, hundreds of um, audio files on there, huge Patreon-exclusive episodes, mm-hmm. like all the big hitters, serial killers, Bundy, Gacy, all those cases are on there. Um Yep. And just a, an eclectic mix of all kinds of other stuff, as well as just a banter, which we do every Friday. We record and we we record for anywhere for thirty to an hour, um, and we answer listener questions and just shoot the shit and hang out. There's not much true crime in that one. It's just you know the listeners getting to know us a little bit more and right. just hanging out. Yeah, um, that's on the five dollar tier. The two dollar tier gets you access to all of the you know um, once a month premium episodes, like last week's episode. That's why we didn't put anything on the main feed last week because we were doing a Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and uh, guys, talking about Just the Banter, we just released episode, I think, 52. 52 yep. of Just the Banter. So just if you'd like to get to know us a little bit better as host, uh, get to know what we're like outside of the true crime world, our other interest and things like that, there's 52 episodes of Just the Banter. And if you guys like, you know, if you join on Patreon at the $5 tier, you guys can get involved with Just the Banter. Ask your own question. Make your own, yep. uh, make your own comment, and we will read it. Um, of course, in the very next Just the Banter show. So yeah, it's a lot. Of, there's a lot of silly stuff like we we talk theoretical, like what animals we could beat up, like just all kinds of silly stuff. <laughs> all kinds. What our favorite kind of That's pizza right. was was the question. Uh, yeah. one of the questions this past week. Things so that we would want to be buried with, you know, shit like that. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a good yeah, one. Yeah, some some interesting questions that really get us outside of our typical boxes here. Yeah, but but yeah, Patreon.com/slash True Crime Guys. And guys, there's links yep. to everything that we plug right below here. If you click on the True Crime, True Crime Guys link tree in the description, you'll see uh, links to everything we have to offer. Merch. From, yeah, merch to our, our Spotify page, uh, both Patreons for True Crime Guys and Patreon uh, for Strange and Unexplained if you want extra content. Here at True Crime Guys, we're releasing episodes. I mean, if and then we also got the, the fi- final fa- uh, the football fantasy podcast. Full House yep. Fantasy Football Podcast, which Lauren does every week as well. I mean, we're releasing something almost every day on True Crime Guys Productions. If you guys yep. joined Patreon, I mean, I would say, what, four or five days out of the week, we're releasing new episodes. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of content to be had on uh, Patreon. So again, yeah, uh, links in the description. The Full, House, the Full House Fantasy Podcast I do with my buddy Tori, and that's free. That's uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. If yeah. you're into fantasy football, check that out. We give our advice, our takes on different players and how each week goes. Full House Fantasy Football. It's on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all that stuff. Yes. Give, give that a listen if you're into fantasy football. Honestly, if you're just into football in general, it's a fun listen. Honestly. Yeah. I like to listen to it just to hear you guys talk about the games and the funny shit that happens. And like Aaron yeah. Rodgers' performance on Thursday, you guys had me cracking yeah. up. I was listening to that. There's just, yeah. that's some of my favorite parts about the show. And then also you get some fantasy advice at the same time. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Does that about do it? I think that's it, man. That's all of our plans. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will see you next week for another freebie. Yep. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. 
It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was true crime garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the creeper army We out here making murder, get murder, get murder in the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.